Greetings from the frigid north and welcome to Deep Shit. I'm in uh, Vancouver, Canada, as I've talked about. I'm sorry, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Canada's a country. British Columbia is a province of Canada. That's like if I was saying, I'm in Chicago, United States, which I could say and people would be like, oh, he means Illinois. I'll, I'll let that pass, but uh, I'm trying to be respectful of Canadians, so I'm in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, right now. Um, it is cold outside. It is uh, 30 degrees, or as they would say in Canada, 2, because they're metric here with their Celsius and all that stuff. Although Celsius really metric, it doesn't really matter. They keep they keep temperature with Celsius. It's 2 degrees outside Celsius, or 30 degrees Fahrenheit, which we in the United States are the only country still holding on to fucking Fahrenheit. Um, hard to spell, and um, stupid. I don't know. Anyway, um, I am here in my uh, little apartment that I'm uh, living in, my little furnished apartment, after I'm just hanging out with my good friend Ryan Hamilton, a very funny comedian, who we recorded a road episode of Deep Shit, which you will see in the near future. And speaking of road episodes, this episode is my very first road episode of Deep Shit with another very good friend of mine, Mr. Harikandabolu who lives in New York and is from New York. And I met him in D.C. years ago. Anyway, I apologize for the quality of this episode, sound-wise and edits-wise. It was before I had a certain app on my iPad. Yes, I own an iPad, okay? Um, That allowed me to just record willy-nilly. I used the iPad GarageBand app, which at best allowed me only to record 20-minute chunks. And every time the iPad screen would close, it would stop the recording. So what I did is I took five 20-minute chunks and emailed them to my producer, Katie Levine. I'm sorry, Katie Levine. I want to say Levine because of my friend Robin Levine, who insisted that's how it's pronounced. So I want to call anyone whose last name is Levine Levine, but she's Katie Levine. That's beside the point. Anyway, I sent her all these clips, and she cobbled them together. So it um, there's not a lot of workable cuts. So there will be pauses and spaces of silence where you're like, what? What's going on? What's happening? But just listen. I'm going to give you a code word that once you hear it, you'll know that my interview with, with, with Mr. Kondabolu is over. And that's flabbeljabbits. So the next time you hear this, flabbeljabbits, you'll know that that concludes this episode of Deep Shit. Anyway, it's also very long. So I'm going to cut this intro right now. So here is my interview with Hari Kondabolu about the subject of honesty. It's very comedy-centric. Not meaning it to be a comedy podcast in which we deconstruct and construct (laughs) comedy, but it is essentially because we're comedians and our existences are wrapped up in comedy. Anyway, two comedians whose existence are wrapped up in comedy and already long, strangely cobbled together, weird spaces of silence episode of deep shit. Honesty. Go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. What it's you know what's funny like the theme of this thing is uh, is honesty right mm-hmm. and like the first time I you know before the the thing stopped recording I was saying like you know me and my my ex, now ex girlfriend mm-hmm. and I every intention this time around to just make it me 
and like delete her from the story. Ah, okay. Just because I, I didn't want to think about her. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the irony of like this, the whole point of this is honesty. And then I'm like, I'm just going to tweak it. And since like I, I like after I said, it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about her in this podcast. But but she was part of the story. But then it was and like, she was part of your life too. Yeah, of course. Yes, yes, of course. We're a year and a half. So like, it's funny because it's like we're recording this, and then I'm like, oh, I've got a second chance to tell it. All right, good. <laughs> I was I was reluctant. To you can cut it. her out of the picture of your mind. Yeah, but, but tell me the story, and then we'll get to our theme. Okay, so we were walking down. Um, we were walking down. Uh, we're trying to cross the street in, in Boston, and uh, we, it was a do not walk, but we were crossing anyway. And this car like kind of turned into us, and then like immediately stopped. And the driver was annoyed. And we cross finally crossed. We were like, oh, that was a stupid thing to do. All of a sudden, the driver opens his uh, like rolls down his window and yells fucking Arabs and then like drives away and I like flip out like I just start like I just like start screaming you motherfucker fuck you fuck you like all like this like training of how to deal with racism and that's all I could go like fuck you come back here fuck you fuck just cursing you stupid son of a bitch you're a coward like just losing it right right I was just angry. Something just like, why does this shit have to happen? I was having a good night. I had a good show at Motley's. Like, why does this have to happen now? And these two, um, like, older white ladies are, are walking on the street, which I, later on, when I was telling the story, a friend referred to them as, oh, you were referring to Cambridge ladies. These Cambridge like, ladies. Cambridge very ladies. specific, yeah. And it was, we were in Cambridge, but I understood the sentiment. So Because when they, they were, this one woman, uh, of the two of them, came up to me, and I thought she was going to be sympathetic. Like, oh, that sucks, right? And she looks at me and she says, you know, when people say things to us that hurt us, the way we're supposed to respond. And I couldn't believe she was reprimanding me. It had been 20 seconds since this guy called me a fuck, me and my girlfriend a fucking Arab, fucking Arabs. And all of a sudden, and of course, there's nothing wrong with being Arabs. It's just, you know, the sentiment. Yeah, course, yeah, right? yeah. It was clear. That it's, it's, like, it's racist. It and a it's, it's racist and incorrect. Right. It wasn't like a general misunderstanding. It was a target. Right, like, right. I hate Arabs. I think you're out to hate you. Um, so... And I was just stunned, like, really? This is the moment that you think it's best to teach me a lesson about how to deal with racism directed mm. towards me? Mm. Like, you think this is the moment? And, you know, so I, I was at 100. She showed up and, like, says this to me. And I'm expected to be calm and reasonable college discussion hurry. Okay. But that means getting back to zero. I couldn't get back to zero. I was still so angry. So I went from 100 to 50. So I wasn't screaming anymore. But you were but still I was, livid. I was still livid. I'm like... Look, that's not how you talk to people. Okay, when somebody's in pain, that's not how you talk to them. Do you understand that? You're supposed to say, are you okay? How can I help you? You don't tell, and, and then you're like, well, I just think, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. That is the wrong way to talk to somebody. You have no right to say that. <laughs> and I'm just like, like yelling at this old lady. And felt good though, didn't it? It felt, I don't know. It no, felt I, know, of, I know, I know, I know. I'm, was I'm like just joking. Of, it was just like, yelling at old ladies is always great. It was this moment <laughs> of like, like, how dare you put me in the situation mm. after somebody had, like a double a racism double whammy like i'm getting both at once mm-hmm. at once and then uh she she made one parting comment she said something like um uh i'm sorry if you misunderstood um she was like, B- B- like, I'm sorry, like, you misunderstood my decency or something like that. Or something to that effect. Like, I'm sorry you misunderstood. I'm paraphrasing. My yeah. decency. Something like that. Misunderstood. My, no, I'm sorry if you misunderstood my intentions. That's oh, what okay. she said. That's, that's, 
it's more acceptable than you misunderstood my decency. That that but it's I, the I same, would punch it's, her in the eye. No, but it's the same. <laughs> it's the same idea. It's the same idea. It's but the same like, idea. Like my intentions were to be decent. My intentions were to be, and it's like I didn't misunderstand your intentions, but I understand the underlying thing that's un- like I don't like this brown man making a scene and he's yelling and creating a fuss and he's angry and that's not how you're supposed to respond to because I'm a white woman. Like, you're a white woman. Like, it's not to say that, like, you haven't dealt with sexism in your own bullshit, but, like, don't tell a person in pain how they're supposed to be in pain. Let them be in pain. Let them come back down. I'm, Help them through the pain instead of right. reprimanding them. Exactly. Like, look. Instead of being like, you're doing that pain thing wrong. Like, if, if a kid falls and they skim their knee, as, you know, what do you do? It's a decent thing. Like, you shouldn't have been running. No. Some people do that. A and lot of parents wrong. do that. It's yeah. like you give them love, and then after they feel better, stop running. At the same time, I'm not... Maybe telling, next time, don't run so fast, eh? I, right. And right. I'm not saying that this white woman should have been parental. I, even if it was the next day, I would have been like, shut You're just up, saying... Shut up. She should have had some empathy. She had no empathy. She had no empathy. She seemed to empathize more or with... Or sympathy. She well, didn't yeah. act either, you know? She, but she seemed to, to sympathize more with the beep, the guys who drove by and said the comment than she did with you. She didn't sympathize, sympathize with him either. She was upset with both of you. She was ex- upset at the noise. At the situ- At the noise. <laughs> she didn't like the yelling and the... White noise, brown noise. <laughs> she just, it's all noise. She didn't want noise. I mean, look, it was it was like this idea of like, well, I went through this and that in the 60s and I've studied this. I mean, I, these are my assumptions, but like it was somebody who's like, I know how to deal with these situations. And I'm like, I, I've dealt with these situations. And yeah, I didn't handle that well, but I was in pain. It hurt for some reason more than it normally does. It's because you had a really good day. So it's like Why from really? having from being on yeah. a high yeah. to suddenly being on a low. And you're reminded, oh, yeah. You know, it's like that's right. Like yeah, you can have a great show and to, to some guy. You're 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 still that. You're some Arab. And like I crossed. Like look, it was we crossed the street when we shouldn't have crossed the street. But that's no way to deal. Like you could be like a, a simple fuck you, fuck off would have been sufficient. We would have deserved that. Would have been the was. best comment for that woman to be like, next time don't jaywalk. Right, and, and I still would. And I'm like, true, but fuck you. You know, and part of me was like, you know, when I reacted, it was that mix of like, I sh- shouldn't be yelling at this. Like, a white lady. I shouldn't be yelling at her. And at the same time, I'm like, if my mom was here, my mom would destroy this woman. <laughs> so it's like, mm. I wish my mom was here so she could do the work. It's like, you know, like, that's, you don't. It's such an indecent, privileged way that she reacted. And she doesn't even realize it. And that is a Cambridge lady. Mm. That is. It's it's the, um, it's a kind of a, 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 a liberal, a mass liberal, because Cambridge is where Harvard is. Yeah, yeah. That is like they're like I'm st- they're so hip and they're so with it, but they they seem to make a career and a life out of co-opting everybody else's struggle. That's that seems to yeah. be their whole thing. It's like mm. it's it's how is this about me? You know how is how is what's going on with this person about me? And how mm. can I teach them to be a little bit more like me? It's kind of what it comes from. It's kind of a it's an egotism and a narcissism. There's, there's an extension of that too. I think. I mean, definitely uh, th- that type. I understand that, but I think there's an extension it, just with white liberalism now. Still, you know, this idea of like I studied this, this, this in school. I studied a way of talking about this, this, and this. A way of reacting politically to this, this, and this. Mm. And it's like there is room for anger and frustration. And um, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like, well, we have a really. And I talk about this a lot, and this is coming from theater school and shit. We have, I'm going to say in this country, and I, really, I, have, a, I have a lot of people who aren't American, friends that aren't American, and I will, when I speak to them about things that I think, I always make sure to say in this country. Of course, yeah. Because I only have 
that experience of what I think Americans are like. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes they're offended. They're like, that's not only in it. Like they think I'm saying that only Americans do this. No, but you're just trying to be, I'm just saying that like, I can only speak for this. I can't speak for Italy. I can't speak for, you know, um, Brazil or, you know, Sri Lanka. Like, I don't know your culture. I don't, I I don't know what you grew up with. So I'm saying this from my perspective, what I see Americans to be. Anyway, my point is, I think that Americans tend to have, or just everyone I know in my experience, very, complicated relationship with emotions because Mm -hmm. we kind of you reacted emotionally yes and emotionality sometimes is seen as weakness that you let your emotion that your emotions in a way are this this um caged beast that you have to learn how to tame and control and that and then some people talk about their emotions like they're completely not responsible for it like once i get angry i can't be responsible like once the cage is open the beast is gonna do what the beast is gonna do (laughs) But some people, there's like, your honor. Yeah, and it's yeah, your honor. It's the division between emotionality and intellect, where it's like your intellect should be superior to your emotionality. So it's like you should have thought about how, but it discounts the emotional reaction. And yeah. since most people think of their emotions as these things that just happen that we have no control or understanding of, yeah. then they don't learn from emotional reactions because you can learn to control your emotions, but you can also learn when your emotions are uh, tempering your intellect sure or the or the opposite it's like you can have an emotional reaction but it's like to 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 not have an emotional reaction is just as incorrect to overreact emotionally well in my opinion it was an interesting thing from from that incident because two things one when i reacted to her even though i brought it down i was still livid but i wasn't like crazy you weren't 100 anymore no you said like you know, I was still I was able to rationally explain the point of why this what you are doing is indecent in a very like I was very articulate and clear, and I like as much like race theory as I could come up with in that moment. I was able to, and I was I was angry. Why do I have to explain this to you now? <laughs> you know, right. this isn't the moment for me to explain this to you, but I will do it. But I will do it still frustrated because I'm frustrated right now. Right. So it's like I it was that frustrating. I was emotional, but my brain still was working because I mm. was forced to go into that place by this woman. And also, like I feel like it's funny because like I was the one having the emotional response, but she was as well. You know, her response to me was an emotional response, even though it was tempered. You know, it was it was responding like how she like felt by it and had to respond. She didn't have to. She wasn't part of that situation. Yeah. And also, I think in some ways, even though you know, just emotion doesn't necessarily mean being livid. You know, she was having an emotional response by having to respond. And I, in some ways, she lacked the intellect because if you actually saw the situation and thought how a person, then that's what empathy is, right? Like actually mm-hmm. coming up to like, even though I have not had this experience I or sim- s- or sympathy, maybe right. like. You know, how can I relate to this and understand what this person's going through me and let it make sense to me and then know how to respond? And that's in that that is part of that that's intellect. And she right. lacked that in that moment. She didn't she decided to have an emotional reaction and respond to what she was feeling initially as opposed to letting it process for a second. Like why would this person respond in this way? Mm. Um Yeah, so yeah, she didn't need to interject. No. She didn't need to participate in that experience at all. A hug would have been sufficient. <laughs> Honestly, and I think that's true of, I think, most, at least with me, like, there are so many times, just give me a hug. Don't talk. Just give me a hug. This is a hard one. There are moments, it's funny. Um, <laughs> let me t- I'll tell you a story, because uh, it's funny, because uh, you, you were talking about talking to friends in other countries, and like you, you say in America, and trying to relate to their experience and mm-hmm. share yours, but always giving it that kind of like, let me make sure you know this before I get any further. Right. 
you know, I was in Scotland for a month and performed Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I was in London two weeks before that, and the first week I was in Scotland, the riots happened in London. Oh, right, right. right. And it was very tricky for me to talk about because you know there was a racial component as far as I saw, but it wasn't you know. Whenever you talk about race in the UK, for some reason people keep talking. Well, it's a class. I mean, it's you're class. American, and you keep talking about class. I'm like, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they're pretty in in our country. They're pretty linked mostly. And but there is some linkages there too because like yeah. there was like there's segregation. You know, not like forced segregation, but like you know. Sure, and then of course you know there's poor white people too, and it's all it's it's a different complexity. Right. But like when you, I was seeing these interviews and hearing these interviews of, of young, like you know people of color in London, and they were racializing their discussion. So there was a racial component, and they're like, no, this is a class. And it's like, listen to the kids. Some of them are saying that there's the, they're talking in racialized language. They're they're talking about their experiences. There's some component here. And so it was kind of frustrating to people like talk, like avoid that discussion and like and at the same time for the first time when I was talking about like how I see it I it wasn't coming off as a person of color I was coming off as an American judging their um, situation which mm. was so weird I'm like I'm being seen as an American finally in this situation yeah 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 it yeah, was yeah. so bizarre um, and you know in Edinburgh it's like you know, it's a very very white. You know, uh, well, city, yeah. uh, as is a lot of Europe, and especially uh, at, at, during the French. That's, that's where all they came. That's where they came. Right, from. right. <laughs> that's the garden, and uh, <laughs> uh, so you know, I was, uh, you know, there was there was weird moments of like tension, and it wasn't like anything overtly racist happened to me. You know, mm-hmm. it was a lot of like little comments here and there, or tension or awkwardness, and uh, it, 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 to be honest, it. it in some ways, it felt like I was back in Maine, where I went to college. I went to college up in Maine, and it was the same kind of privileged awkwardness or comments that were meant to be jokey but were kind of messed up and it was but nothing overly you know uh if anything you know well, it's because they, they they think they can make a yeah. racial comment and you'll laugh you'll and, laugh because uh, you because you'll know they assume that you know they're not racist so i can yes, say this exactly, exactly. racist things just because i want to air it out because you know i don't mean that right <laughs> and it was never overt, it was like subtle little things subtle yeah things. but and and kamau was there for the month and he dealt with some more overt stuff whether it was like during shows because you know of course he was doing the w kamau bell curve right right our show it's all about race and uh and religion too but like you know, definitely race is heavy and so there was a lot of awkwardness in some audiences who didn't really understand what he did you know He's not gonna. He doesn't sugarcoat. He's funny, but he doesn't sugarcoat. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, there was that. But there was also the tension of like. I remember one night we were walking together, and we were um, at this place, Palmyra, which is like you know a Turkish place, like falafels and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, a donor in, in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh, and we were there. And uh, when Kamal walked in, there was this like white dude there, and he was drunk. And he was like yelling at the uh, the dudes at work. That like, you Turkish motherfuckers. And he was like drunk and he was half kidding, but he was racist, right? And he goes up to Kamau. Kamau, only black person there, right? Okay. And I'm uh, already scared. And he's like, he said something like, "What's up, my brother?" And he like put his ha- hand out. <laughs> and I was there at this. Moment. I saw that. This is a Scott. Yeah. Okay. And K- Kamau, and he was drunk. Kamau was just like. Uh, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna do that. Totally not your brother. And I'm just, I was like angry, just fucking angry. And I just look, I'm like, fuck you. As he was walking, I was like, fuck you. And he like gives me a thumbs up, a condescending thumbs up, and walks out. And so that happened. And then 
you know, a little while later, um, walking down the street, we were just talking about how Edinburgh was frustrating based on race stuff, like these weird tensions, things not working comedically, as well as weird interactions with people. While this is happening, we're fuming, just letting it out of our system. And luckily, we had each other to talk to, you know, which right. was ideal, because if we didn't have each other, that must have been harder, you know? We had each other to, like, kind of, like, let's get it out. These people came up, and they'd seen my performance from the other day, and they were telling me how great I was, so like, white people, and it was really awkward, like, we were just talking about how frustrating it was, and these folks come up and say, you're so great, we love what you do, and out of the three people, two of them had seen me, one of them hadn't seen my show, and, like, had no idea, but was like, you know, whatever, she was smiling, being nice, and then I was like, well, if you like my stuff, you should see my friend Kamal's show, he's doing an hour, and if you like the kind of stuff I was talking about, you'll love what he does, and the woman that hadn't seen my show was kind of just their friend goes up to Kamau and like absolutely and then like touches his beard and pulls it like you know and then all of a sudden her friend looks at Kamau and I'm like I'm so sorry that must be shit for you and it was this really awkward interaction of like oh this person's apologizing for a friend who just is something kind of racist not kind of fucked up like who she but no no permission no permission you just touch somebody to, oh and, look at that beard yeah yeah so that happens and this is like this is ten minutes after. The dude in the kebab shop, right? We go to this party, and uh, <laughs> and we're like, like, um, just kind of like dealing with like this happened. Okay, let's just drink and like hang out and just let it out. And all of a sudden, this this lady's like looking at Kamau, and it's all weird. This white lady. She walks across the room, excited, and I forgot the name of the person, so I'll just make up a name. It's like, oh my god, you look just like our friend Joey. Like. Okay. The yeah. other black guy, you know, the other I guess. person, yeah. And Kamal was like, no, I don't. I probably don't. I probably don't look like Joe. <laughs> and she gets annoyed at him for not being excited and walks away. So, like, this, like, a day. You know, I don't even know who Joey is. Right, right. Okay. So, like, so there's this kind of this awkward tension, and, like, I'm getting annoyed at, like, this kind of shit. And it's, like, it's a bit of a white privileged space. That's what it is, you mm-hmm. know? And <laughs> it's funny, somebody had, uh, my friend uh, Paul Sinha is a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I think we're friends. I met him. I, I'm, I, I'm at least a fan of his. And okay. He had kind of, yeah, I'll say, yeah, Paul Sinha is my friend. And, uh, <laughs> Paul, a loose definition. I, of I, I think, yeah, I'd be like, we've never hung, hung out, but like, I respect him and we do some little, you know, I, yeah, for sure. Anyway, so Paul um, had, had tweeted this thing about just how when the London riots were happening, he was in Edinburgh and he said how it was funny uh, to see disaffected youth. In London and being in Edinburgh and being Edinburgh, which is full of affected youth, uh, which is totally yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so but that was kind of the space it was where you could be affected. Oh, I don't happening. know what it is about <laughs> black hair that people have to. That just it's like a frick. It's like the I don't know. It's like a crystal ball. It's like Sauron's eye like <laughs> to freaking white people. Just like. And like uh, every black, apple. every black it's person the has had the, the experience <laughs> with the white person that reaches for their hair. Some it's not even people we know. Sometimes people we know, and they just reach. You can see that they're like, "What is that jungle of a mane? I gotta feel it." You know, mine, which is you know, manifest destiny. Um, but I don't. I never understood why why they're so intrigued it's it's like as if like you could what bothers me about it because i've never had the experience obviously you know but like um there's that like did you forget this was a person for a moment like you that and that's what it is it's the ultimate feeling like a thing yeah it's objectification 
At the, at the very my least. My hair isn't like that, therefore I'm a person and this isn't a person? Like, is that the assumption? Because how else do you, how else do you well, justify touching a stranger's body and being okay with it? And assuming they're okay with it. Like, you need to put them in a Well, there's more. Place. There's some entitlement in there, too. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Because, I mean, because imagine... I mean, uh, uh, as a... Because imagine this, you know, like, uh, that was a woman that touched his hair. Like, I'm a man and I do not have breasts. What do those feel like? I actually have made that comparison uh, yeah. before. And, man, women can't, wouldn't, can't get... It's not the same. I'm like... That's not fair. It's always, it's always, it's not fair. That's not the same. It's not the same experience. I'm like, that's your, that's yours, and that's private. And I'm not just going to reach for that thing in public because I'm curious because I don't have that, and I want to hear, I want to see what it feels like. I mean, I guess it's different just because, like, we're maybe we're speaking from a place of entitlement as men. Yeah, it's a male place, and I have to accept that, and I I acknowledge that. And if I say that, if if a woman, if a a black woman touched a white woman's, but again, that has a different dynamic. You know, it's it's the power dynamic of like. I guess yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But to be fair, white people in general do reach for shit before they have. <laughs> like white white girls touch each other's hair right. all the time without asking, and it's just like, yeah, that's my bread. You have my all in my hair. Tigers eating white people in cages left and right. I know it's crazy. Yeah. So um, don't make it quick. Make it make, <laughs> make it make it make it however you're gonna make it. So you know, so all this kind of weird racial tension is there. Uh, you know, for me and Kamau in Edinburgh, and it's not like uh, you know. Again, ex- you know, Kamau had those experiences. And he had a few experiences also, like you know, carrying around. You were getting very daughter. angry. I was getting very. He was frustrated. probably was he as frustrated? He was not as. He's a little bit of a cooler character, if you will. I, yeah, we take. You it tend to have a hot head. I, I can, and I definitely like. You know, it, it can be a strength, and it's it's a strength when I can you know turn it into something. You know. Uh-huh. But, you know, initially, I just, I, it's just, I can't stand people's indecency. I can't understand people's lack of... Sorry, you misunderstood you know. my indecency. Yeah, it's a, I can't, like, people not being able to understand why someone would hurt, like, really upsets me. I, I think it's just very insensitive, and if, if you're a human being, you know how difficult it is to be a human being, so why would you not try to understand why someone's in pain? So, I get angry at that. That really upsets me. So, you know, that day especially affected me seeing what... Like, come on, went through that in a matter of an hour. Like, we, <laughs> come on. Um, so, and you know, and I've had stuff yelled, and maybe you've had this similar experience. People yell racist shit at you mm-hmm. when you're on stage or say racist things to you after stage, whether they're, like, thinking they're funny and, like, here's a joke. You, think, you, haven't, you haven't heard anything I said? You think a racist joke is appropriate? The biggest, the biggest thing that's happened to me, and this is actually the first experience I ever had with Kamau, yeah. is that I will get congratulated for other mm. comedian sets. So I will, and that's kind of how Kamau and I first met. I had heard of him, and I went to his premium blend taping. Oh, I've heard and then it. afterwards, I got, someone said, hey, great set. And I'm like, we don't even look the same. We're, he's a completely different height. We were both wearing hats. That's what it was. I was wearing yeah. a black yeah. hat that covered my hair, and Kamau was wearing an orange <laughs> hat that covered his hair. It was much bigger, plus he's taller and wears glasses and is a different human being. So it's easy <laughs> to understand. San Francisco. I was in San Francisco Uh-oh. doing the showcase, and I get off stage, and this comic, and he was—he's a kind of like open mic guy. level guy. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I don't know if he saw my set, but he was like, "Oh, you were incredible, great set." And I'm like, "Were you in there? I just got off stage. That's fine. okay." He's like, "Yeah, so good. You, I got. You, I just, I love your cheese joke," and it's like, "Oh, you didn't see my set. You think I'm Kumail? You think I'm Kumail?" You think I'm Kumail Nanjiani. That has happened multiple times where I've been confused for Kumail, either when Kumail is there or when he's not there. 
Kumail never confused for me. <laughs> I'll have think. to. I'll have to ask him. Did you ask him that? I he never responded. I'm like, do you ever get confused with me? He never told me. So I, I'm assuming maybe no. he went through a different. He went through the memory. He had a relapse, and he was like, oh, I have been. I can't talk about it. Uh, so, but it's happened even in a video game magazine, which makes sense for Kumail to be in a video game magazine. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, you know, comedian Harry Kanabolu has a joke about, I guess, Call of Duty. Call of oh, Duty they attributed that. Oh, I think I, I remember that. seeing you. You you talk about yeah. that. So yeah, yeah. My name was misspelled, so they didn't even do the basic level of googling, and it was his joke. And I didn't, I didn't grow up in Pakistan. Why do I don't understand why? Um, it just takes a little bit of research. Basic research. Just a little bit of research. Who did that joke? I wonder. Which wrong guy? Which. <laughs> in Kumail's joke about Call of Duty yeah. is the point of the joke yeah. that it takes a little bit of research. Yeah. They don't speak Arabic in <laughs> yeah, the irony of that. In Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like all I had to do was Google Pakistan uh, language. Incredible. Um so so you know, this so Edinburgh, right. So this um that stuff was happening and like yeah, I am used to stuff being yelled on stage or or with, the worst is like getting stuff being whispered. Like people in the front row while you're making a joke and they're not down and people in the front row Yeah. Either to themselves or to me, like say racist shit and I have to choose whether I want to address this and ruin the night for other people if I don't come up with something funny or just eat it and just let it build and just have a good show. And sometimes I do that. Just like kill it. And that's my response. I just killed it. And I hate you. So, but it's like, you know, it's that But if it's distracting your flow, if it's distracting people around that, then yeah. yeah, And I've had people thrown out who are being awful. Just being awful and drunk and racist or just uh, the awful thing. So I'm used to like, even in Seattle where I do a lot of my stuff or San Francisco, it's like racist shit happens and you deal with it. So I'm used to that feeling of like, you know, I, I don't think I'm a road dog, obviously, like like some of the comics really work the road, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I don't go to the worst bars and deal with that, but I still deal with enough of it where, uh, you know, you wonder, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I putting myself, I'm an intelligent person, why am I putting myself doing Yeah, this? yeah, yeah. Um, trying to make this group of drunk strangers. Exactly. And I'm doing a late night show at, in Edinburgh, I'm doing like a 10.30 or what, it was like 10.45, um... So one night, I'm, I'm doing my show, um, this had come after that, and a couple of, like, reviews um, that were, like, mixed, you know, because they review shit in Edinburgh, like, basically they get, like, students to, like, review adults, like, doing comedy who don't know anything, and it's like, ah, oh, some good, some bad, some people don't get what I'm doing, fine. Um, and uh, I'm having a good set, I'm only doing 20s, it's like a mixed bill, so it's me and three other comics, and we got comics, we got real close. Did you know the other, who were the other comics? A guy named Paul Curry, uh, from Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland, jeez, uh, Northern Ireland. Very different. Very different. Uh, and uh, and uh, Ian uh, Sterling, uh, who was a Scottish kid, actually from Edinburgh, fantastic, mm. and Phil uh, Wang, um, who uh, is uh, English, uh, mm-hmm. okay. family uh uh, dad grew up. Uh, dad's from Malaysia. He grew up in Malaysia. Um, really, we got really close. Oh, okay, we were doing a thing called Comedy Zone, which is an actual thing. You guys are going through the trenches of comedy. So. Yeah, twenty-five shows, and you know, so we're, it was what you did twenty-five, 25 shows? shows. It was really no no days off either. So I um we all got close, and I would, so the, the lineup would would normally be like um you know Ian hosted uh, compared as they say out there. I would go first. Then Paul, and Paul's incredible, Paul does kind of a Steve Martin, Andy Kaufman influence kind of stuff, a lot of, like, mix of puppetry and mime and voice. Very theatrical. Very theatrical. Plays with the form. Exactly. And fun to watch. And, I, you know, we all, we watched his set the most just because, like, it was just interesting to see different ways to make people laugh with timing and things that just, ah, incredible. And then intermission and then Phil would close it up. And, uh... You know, so the show was, you know, a good five, like, no, ten minutes in, going well. It was actually a strong beginning, good audience. 
And I'm doing this bit about uh, how we've never had a female president in the U.S. and how that's embarrassing. And all of a sudden, I hear someone yell out, Palestinian power! Out of nowhere. And I... I'm like, Palestinian, like, why are, that's not what this joke's about. And then all of a sudden it clicks to me, oh, it's because I'm brown? You're saying this, you think it's appropriate because I'm a brown person talking about politics, so you would yell at Palestinian. And I'm like, like, fuck you, like, you have no right to say Palestinian power, like, what is that supposed to mean? And then... Well, to be fair, it was probably the Wonder Twins. <laughs> but they're like, Palestinian power, activate! <laughs> and then all of a sudden I say, uh... I don't know. I've never said anything like this before. Mm -hmm. I say, hey, how about this? How about you come up here and I kick your fucking teeth in? <laughs> oh, that's and, very aggressive. And here's the punchline because I brought out like some like cookie or something that yeah. was a bit I did earlier. And I'm like, and then here's a the punchline. Then I'm going to eat this cookie. Get it? <laughs> and it was ridiculous. I've never, the only fight I've ever gotten in was in the eighth grade when I slapped a kid for making fun of my mother and he started laughing. That's the only fight I ever He started laughing because you slapped him? Yeah, it's like, he just, I mean, the, we're in the How hard did room. you slap him? Uh, not hard enough, apparently. I remember he was an Irish kid. He had a little, well, he was like a white, like New York Irish kid. Okay. And he had like a little red mark on his face and he laughed and everyone else laughed like, what the fuck are you doing slapping a kid? Your mother wears army boots. Plaque. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe he didn't know he didn't know how to react to that because if he laughed, then he's not an embarrassment. He laughed, and then at lunch, he brought kids over. He's the kid who slapped me. This is the kid who slapped me. He's pointing his face. And it was did you earn his respect from that? No, I mean, he's I like, think he, I liked you. You you're a slapper. No, you know, it's just, it was, I lost respect. But people like me, so they let it go. But it was just embarrassing. But like, I've never hurt anybody physically, and I would never. It's not. And so for me to say that was like ridiculous. So I'm like, Pal how dare you say Palestinian power? And then somebody yelled something else out, and and. Uh, all of a sudden, I hear the audience say, that's not what she said. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What do you mean? No, no that, she said, that's just like, and then the audience in unison said, no, she didn't. Which is, uh, what? And, she, and, and she's like, she said, men are in power. Which is a, wow. worth, which is a worthless statement, but not offensive. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, and what? it is a response to what you were talking. Yes, about. it was relevant, and all of a sudden, and, and not awful. And I'm like, what? What? And I'm like, yeah. And then like, really? And the audience is like, yes, in unison. The idea they were in unison was the more. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And like, I'm like, this shit happens to me all the time. Like, racist shit happens all the time when I'm on stage. And I'm like, this is the first time I call it out, and I was wrong. I was. Did you wrong. say that? Did you say yes. that on stage? I'm like, and I said like, look, this shit happens to me all the time. Like, people say shit, and today I just lost it. I just. I was wrong. I've never been wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've never been wrong. This is, and the audience is like kind of confused. And people are like, keep going, keep calling, keep going. Like they were being supportive, which yeah. made me feel worse and better, you know? Did you, so you apologized to this woman. You apologized to the to, audience. To the audience. And, and they're like, woman. that's fine. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, Give us some jokes. And then I'm trying, and all of a sudden this kid in like, you know, like 20 something in like the first two rows yells out, too sensitive. Which crushed me. Oh, and good God. And like a good, like the audience, a good chunk of the audience, you could hear them go, oh. Like, both because we were so close to moving on with it, and also that was like... And I turned up like, I'm not too sensitive. You don't know what I'm <laughs> You said you reacted in a sensitive way. Because like, it's... I am not 
Well, cause it was just, but, but, it, but it is, like, because it's like, there is a sensitivity to it, obviously, but it's a sensitivity that comes out of lots of fucked up shit. Yeah, no, it's happened over and over again. Oh, over and over again. So it's like, and, I, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, look, I don't want to get into this now. And then the, I remember these two women in the front row were like, don't worry about it. Keep going. We want you to keep going. And it was like, re, like being sweet, like, get through this. So I powered through the next 10 minutes and got a nice, like, ovation at the end of it. But I was drained as all fuck. I get mm. backstage, and this is what I'm saying, like, the idea of, like, the power of just give me a hug. My friend Paul. Now, Paul, this whole time, like, I was having sets that were good, and I was having sets that the audience, like, you know, which I have. Like, sets where the audience doesn't get what I'm doing, but, like, I was doing what, I, what my truth is and being honest mm-hmm. with, like, what I am. And Paul just gives me this giant... Like, I remember, like, Paul, like, throughout the thing was, like... You know, I'm like, oh, I wish I nailed that set. Like, throughout the month, and Paul would be like, look, no, it was good. It was good. They need to hear what you're saying. It's good. And I'm like, Paul's just saying that to say that, you know. And I remember I get off stage, and Paul gives me this giant hug. This giant fucking hug. And he was going on, like, in, in three minutes. And he just giving me, just held me for a minute. Like, like the sweetest thing. Like, don't worry about that. They needed to hear that. They mm. need to hear that. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I really, like, I, I shouldn't have said it. He's like, look. You can't. You did that from an honest place, and yeah, you were wrong. Like you were, but like. But then you same, also admitted that you were. You wrong. admitted you were wrong, and at the same time, they don't know your experience. They don't know what you go through every day. They don't know what it's like to be you in this city, like one of the few brown people in the city. You were honest with them. All right, you gave them a moment, and even if you were wrong, you gave them an honest moment, and that is true. And they needed to see that, mm. and not many people do that. And I never thought about that moment as an honest moment, but that was an honest. It moment. It was an honest moment, and. He just like because you did you let them you let them in unwittingly right to your experience because up to that you point reacted that way because and you and reacting that way does say here's my what's my experience oh been. absolutely and it like, wasn't funny but it was totally because like up to that point like it's 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 honest comedy in that these are written from an honest place but it's it's not honest in that it's jokes mm. and I had these are things I've done before and even some of the stuff that were more recently written about the riots and stuff. That was still a week ago or two weeks ago or whatever. And so I'm writing, you know, th- it was such a like honest thing of me being like, fuck you. I'm going to, you know, it was just anger and frustration. Mm. And like the idea that this dude who was a white dude who would like give me a hug and say this shit to me, shit that like friends would say to me, people who knew me closely, like it was such a wonderful thing because it's like, wow, there are decent people. Mm. And especially, I think, with comedians, I don't expect that from comedians, to be honest, because I think a lot of us just, we hide behind shit. Uh, like, how many of us are really honest on stage and we're so awkward off stage? A lot of comedians hi- are, yeah. Or we hide it with jokes and we don't want to, di- like, this dude just gave me a fucking hug and told me, like, you did right. And that's such a weird thing to feel. And so, like... Even though, like, Paul and I, like, I don't know this dude all that well. We spent a month very close doing these shows. Like, that me, like, I will always remember that moment because that says a lot. Um, and I needed that. So sometimes you just, like, when someone's in pain, just give them a fucking hug. That's all it is. Just give them a hug. Or her a hug. Give that person. Give that person give a hug. Give a human, uh, some uh, human content. Yes. Unless they don't want that, then don't. <laughs> <laughs> then don't but, do it. But sometimes, you know... Like, but sometimes getting a punch punch in the stomach, he's like, you went for the hug, and you get a punch <laughs> in the stomach. But they know what you meant. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I re- that night, uh, just... I don't drink, you know, mm-hmm. very much. Scotland, for, like, in some ways, forces you to. But I well, remember, because it's, uh, you see everybody doing it. It's so you the kind culture, of... and everyone wants to buy you a drink, and if you don't drink, it's a bit awkward. So, I mean, I... I it's an insult. 
Uh, maybe to some people. Let me buy you a drink. I can't do it. Get to the accent. There's a let me buy you a drink. There's a minimal of like, there's like a confusion. Why aren't you drinking? But like I definitely everyone's I, like a borderline alcoholic. At least that month it felt like that people were yeah. And so but I drank that night. I needed to drink that night. It was just like I need to not think about what happened. But um, but yeah, it was. Uh, but Molly was there. Molly Neff, John's uh, sister was there, and she yeah. was very sweet. And it's funny, you know, like, uh, you know, in the moments where you're drowning, you know, who steps up? And it was cool that Molly was there, too, after, and we were just going for a walk. I'm like, I gotta let this out. And Kamau was there. Um, actually, no, Kamau, I, I remember the first thing I thought when I got off stage is, I need to call Kamau. I need to speak. Because, like, whenever really fucked up shit happens in comedy, <laughs> I call Kamau. Or even uh, is your that, fucked up shit Godfather? It's honestly yeah, he's my fucked up shit Godfather, especially when it comes to race shit. Like, cause it's just he so gets it, and like, and it doesn't even need to be um, comedy. Like, even if it's just life stuff, there's a while where I would just call Kamal. Like, this woman just said this to me. She said, "Look, like the dude from Lost," and like I just met her, and she just said, "Hey, the dude from Lost here," and it's like, what the fuck. <laughs> like anything, it's like because I mean the thing. Still sets it The thing, the thing with Kamau is that um, I think Kamau is not just an amazing comedian who talks about race in this really thoughtful way. As a dude, he just gets it. Like the people, especially if you see Kamau in his element in the Bay Area, and the people that love him. They're not just fans of his comedy. They're fans of him as a person. As a human being, yeah. And, like, he, you know, he teaches um, classes about doing solo shows. And he was teaching this class even before he did his own solo show. And so much of it has to do with, with, with empathy and, and, and understanding people's pain and, like, being honest on stage. So the people that come out to see him, they love him. And his, his classes, from my understanding, I've never taken his classes, but I know him and how we talk and how he talks about comedy. And you would and assume that that's what he does in some of his classes. Right. And, and from what I've heard is like so many of the classes are people letting their guard down and just being honest. And you have a trust in the class. Like, look, we're trust you as a person are, um, you know, letting it out there and you need to trust your classmates. And as classmates, you need to trust the person speaking and, and you need to, to, to know that they're letting their guard down. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck with them. They need you to be thoughtful. And so, like, the, the culture that gets built, like, it's therapy. Yeah, it can and, be very therapeutic, yeah. And I kind of had that in theater school a little bit. It's, be- it's, where it's beautiful. Where it's just like you, you, you know, there's certain classes where you have to delve into some of that dark stuff, some of that unfinished business that's in your, you know, your heart and your soul and your mind. And it's like, obviously, that's a sensitive place. And it's harder for some people to go there than it is for others. Yeah. You know, and some people have to tend to be overly emotive, but sometimes they're, it can be contrived. Where it's like they've chosen their identity to be, I'm always upset or angry or frustrated about these things that I'm always bitching about, right? Right, right, right? But then when you get under that, then you see that there's more to that. Yeah. And some people have gotten to that place where, some people get to that place where, and it's really hard because it's theater school and we're 18. So it's like, how well, <laughs> right. how well do you know yourself? Self, right. And some people get it in college and some people are, don't get it until 10 years after college. You're like, oh, I get what that is. And a lot of kids leave because they're like, I don't need this, you know, whatever. They have their own thing and I can't say like, oh, they're incorrect or correct. It's like I see like even if I disagree with why somebody does something sometimes, I like to believe deep down that at some point they will figure out that. It's like they they need to be misinformed right now. I'll I'll let them continue to be misinformed and hopefully they'll grow. And if not, if this happens over and over again, then I will instruct them that you're misinformed. It's such a – it's a hard thing because (laughs) on one level, I think that is a very human – like let's 
this person's dealt with shit too to get them to the level where they're saying the shit that they're saying. Mm-hmm. So of course, of course, and we, and we all make mistakes and we all are figuring our shit out. But there's still that like ah, oh, but you hurt somebody in the process of figuring your shit out, mm. and well, that's where I have a tough time. What do you mean you hurt somebody? In you the made process? a comment that's unsympathetic or mean or racist or sexist or homophobic. And you're not you're not even willing well, to consider it. Inconsider- and, and, and and I when I say that I I don't mean it like I guess like if I know somebody that makes a decision that yeah. I'm like that's the wrong decision for them. Yeah. I don't necessarily unless they ask feel it's my job to tell them. Yeah, I don't think that's the right decision. I feel like if they're going to make a mistake, let them make that mistake. It depends on what they're saying and who they're saying it to and who. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's this idea that like you you should hold yourself accountable as a person. Um, yeah. To uh, you should you should be held accountable and you should hold yourself accountable to other people. And I, I see that in comedy and I, I see that in life. And I mean, look, we all make mistakes. And we, I, we I say think hurtful things or mean things or do things that are hurtful and mean. Uh, yeah. But we let's try to be conscious and self aware. Well, know? I think that 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 brings me back That's to hard, what our quote unquote theme is. Today, I mean, um, you know, when I put the question of the podcast to you of like, what is that big life theme that you yeah. constantly find yourself coming back to over and over and over again? Yeah. You said, well, I'll let you explain it. Oh, <laughs> you, did, you mentioned it earlier. Oh, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to make that my, my, my catchphrase, but nobody, no one's, no one's, no one's, no one's going no to bite. Um, I've only, you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's honesty. Yeah, so what is, sure. what is that to, me. to you? What, what is honest? Honesty to you, but when you say honesty, do you mean you? You mean yourself being honest, being honest with my point of view, who I am to to yourself and to others, or or both, one of the other both, to both. both okay, to both. and I think I'm. I feel that when I started doing comedy, my goal was to make people laugh. At the end, the end. There's nothing else there, and right? So, and a lot of people, that's what that's what it is. Sure, and it's understandable. But then you and grow I, up, and, I've, and, I, and I definitely think I've, I've, especially when I go to open mics or see young comics, and I'm like, that's not who you are. And, and, and I, but I'm more sympathetic because it's like, yeah, early on, I wasn't who I was. I didn't know who I was. I was figuring it out. I was like right, 17, right. 18 when I started going on stage and like, yeah, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I just wanted to make people laugh and I was mimicking other styles or mimicking... Uh, other maybe, comedians. And- yeah. Like, you know, I, you know, going to the cellar and seeing, you know, comics and, and I'm like, this is the way it's supposed to be, you know? And um, I didn't understand um, the idea of comedic voice and how the great comics had a voice and it was a true voice. It was coming from like either their pain or lots of deep thinking. And, uh, it just didn't, you know, they would sacrifice laughs. They would sacrifice laughs to get, did I say sacrifice lives? No, I said life. Life laughs. I sacrifice, they would sacrifice lives, primarily their own. Um, There's the sacrifice laughs to get honesty. Right, and and would get a deeper laugh as a result. And, like, I'd see Marin doing that. And that's, yeah. like, the only, like, you know, and in, in that's the dude when I was, you know, 17, 18, and New- growing up in New York, he was the, the comic at the cellar that was like, oh, man. He's doing something he's different. He's doing something different. Like, he's going for that one other level of, like, you know, bleeding on stage. Like, I'd right. never seen that before. And, like, so it took a while to get to the point where I was willing to do some of that. Because um, initially it was just like, my mom and dad sound like this. And that's crazy. And Yeah, I mean, you were doing you what, what's quote-unquote expected of you when you were a stand-up. Yes. And I feel like, and I know a lot of comedians that um, I feel like, I, you know, when I'm thinking about like what, what sometimes prevents somebody 
to getting a certain level or help someone get ahead fast. A lot of the time it's because they're doing their impersonation of what stand-up is supposed to be. Exactly. They're yes, playing yes. to the expectation of yes. like, well, I look like this, I come from this, so i got to yeah. talk about these things yeah. in this way because then people will know what to do with me. But then when right. you try to stand out, then right. – because I feel like I got a lot when I was starting out or when I was starting to approach something that I think is towards what I want to be. That I got a lot of, oh, we don't really know what to do with you. Right. We don't know what to do because I'm not like, I don't walk in a room and I don't fit uh, um, the average white person's stereotype of what a black person is, you know, or in general, or sometimes a black person's stereotype of what a black person right. is. It's just kind of like, who's this motherfucker? Um, but it's an, it's, an, it's an interesting journey. I was talking to somebody about uh, the Richard Pryor show last night. Did you ever see a sketch show? So he had weird. a short <laughs> It is very weird, but because he, he goes for some deep shit in it. Yeah. And yeah. there's one sketch that I always loved that is um, God, he was so the famous. gun store. Do you know that gun store sketch? No, but it's amazing that he was so famous he could do that. <laughs> well, you know, because he, he, he did a special. Yeah. And then they said, like, wow, that was great. We want you to do ten. Yeah. But then he felt so censored yeah, yeah, yeah. that he only did four I, yeah. and still took the money. And I was like, you're damn right, and Richard. Moody, Moody wrote a bunch of that well it's, it's <laughs> it, when you look at who it is it's 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 mooney, mooney robin williams, robin williams sandra bernhard um marsha warfield Marshall, tim reed tim reed yeah like some like some people that were Reed's like too. hard hitters you yeah. know and then because then i also think because robert townsend is kind of one of my like unsung inspirations yeah. that i see because he had these specials on hbo called partners in crime that i've talked about many times because they they were they were the precursors to what became in living color and when you watch it, it's the Waynes's, but yeah. then you have people like Franklin Ajay and yeah. like Paul Mooney yeah. and uh, like uh, like Robin Harris. Yeah. So he kind of bridges this gap of one generation of black comedians to the next. Because then you still have – because then you have those guys, but then you have David Allen Greer yeah. and you have um, like Tommy Davidson and Sinbad and all these guys. All forgotten. Amazing. The, all the greatest comic lists, those names never show up. And they, and, and they should because the greatest comic – How's Paul Mooney not on that list? It, but it also, like, the criteria for what makes a great comic. Yeah. It's, it's, you're saying, like, the greatest novelists of all time. <laughs> like, it's like, it's such an expansive, huge form. And it's a form that people cannot it's agree kind of, on. It's intrinsically fucked up because the thing is when you, you're, like, say, because, like, look, every comic has some audience. Do you know what I mean? Like, that relates to them the most. So you're, you're kind of, when you're saying a certain thing, whether it's novel or the greatest thing, you're saying the people that like this are also the greatest people in some implied way because you're saying that, like, they like this, therefore they're, you know what I mean? It's like they're well, connected to the people. You can't judge art in that way. You can't rank it because you're ranking an that, audience that, and ranking that, the ideas. But then that's, ranking that's the, economical what you in mean? a sort of a way. Like, if... if because you're saying that, like, um, well, I'm thinking, like, if you think about, like, market ideas, it's right. it, uh, capitalism is based on people being insecure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Capitalism is based on, like, you know, I mean, like, if you think of, what's his name, um, Bernays, Edward Bernays, right? Sigmund Freud's nephew, the father of public relations, the father of American advertising. He's kind of the guy that took us from... Shoes, buy them. You need them. There's glass and nails too. But if you get this kind of shoe, right. it means this about you. So it's wrapped around like uh, appealing to our insecurities and to making us feel better about ourselves. So in a sort of a way, it's like when you when you do something that it's for a lot of people. If it's got broad appeal, that means that you're trying to make all these people feel better and you're trying to make them feel correct 
in who they are. And that you're making the right decision if you go this way. With me, this kind of entertainer. Right. But that that is it is I guess what I'm trying to say is like like well, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, like there's there's, there's a <laughs> The, well, I lost my train of thought. Well, There's airplanes everywhere. Lifestyle, They're coming after us. Lifestyle and what is cool. Like, I guess, the, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's still, I mean, even back then, there's that basic of, like, this means you're this kind of person. And you reach this status, you know. Right, right, right. And, I, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. So it's like, some comedians tend to think that. I mean, people are, you know, ravenous about their fans. Yeah. So it's like, if you're a fan of mine, then you're the greatest person in the world. There's right. always that kind of back padding. Right, right. That, and, that's, and that's sort of where, when the market moves, it's like, because people go to that thing. So it means it must be the best thing. Right, right. Because everybody picked it. Right. But, and it makes them feel the best. So they're, since they've made it that that's the best thing, yeah. then they're the best people because they've chose the best yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everybody else over here, drinking Dr. Brown's, you're not as good as these other people. I mean, there's always seems to be that competition of, or like the, I'm better than that's our, that's our, that's like the subtext of so much of what, what I think how markets move Right. is I'm better than this. I'm better than you. I'm better than you know him or whatever. Yeah. If I get this, I will. But you have a, don't you have a degree in economy? Am no, I wrong? No, no, no. I have a degree. Well, political like, science, uh, human rights from the London school of economics. Same thing. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> it's the London school of economics. economics so I'm yeah. like, Oh, did they school you in economics? <laughs> Um, well, bringing it back to honesty. Yes. So I got to a point where, you know, I realized that I wasn't really, you know, post 9-11, I became a politicized being and I, I started to question things and read things. I'm like, what am I, my art. How old, how old are you after 9-11? This was 19. Yeah, I was 19. And I you was were 19 when 9-11 happened? Two, yeah. Shit. Okay. I forgot. Is that right? Yeah. 1982. I didn't know yeah. you were, I mean, yeah, you're a little younger than I am. I thought well, we were 19, saying I was like 18. It was 2000. It was September 2001. 5th. Yeah, and I was born in 82, so yeah, it would have been, uh, yeah, it was 19. Okay, so you started to question. Was I 19? I was 18. I was going to, be t- I was going to turn 19. You're, you're 18 going on 19. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you started to question your position in the world. Yeah. And what all that meant. Now yeah. That we... Yeah, and especially with, like, uh, hate violence happening. And, so uh, much anti... The brown. Anti, well, anti-brown, because it was anti... It was anti-Muslim sentiment. But Sikhs were getting killed. Yeah, because the, people can't tell the they difference. They don't know anything. So it's like it was anti-Muslim sentiment that just came a brown wash. It was anti-brown. You know, a certain shade of brown in particular. And it was, you know, uh, I, I, compared to a historic shade of brown that was just like so absurdity. Racism is stupid uh, in, in some, in summation. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> in, in, Har- in, in, in your, in your, uh, your dictionary, it's, it's just racism. It's, it's stupid. It's, it's, it is. I mean, definition I, I can, one, it's stupid. Definition can, two, it's useless. It's funny. Like, cause there's so much theory and then, you know, I can talk about it in such an intellectual way, but at the, same, at the end of the day, it's so irrational. This is ridiculous. I mean, even have to discuss it. That's so, uh, anyway, so, uh, I, you know, all of a sudden, like, I'm like doing these jokes about like accents and shit that I'm like getting big laughs at at my university and when I go to New York at open mics and stuff, but I wasn't like happy with it anymore. It didn't make sense to me. And I remember like the comics at that time that really like shook me, it was like Marin, and it was David Cross when he released the double disc. Because Shut you know, up, you fucking baby. Yeah, because people talk about, you know, like post 9 11, talking about like the administration and, uh, you know, all this of the Daily Show really fucking nailed, you know, in that, during that time period of the, of the Bush era. But really, David Cross's record came out like shortly after it, it happened. And I think people forget, like, you listen to the record now and some of it seems like, oh, this is so like. Corny. I listened to that record about, about that time too. I, I listened to it obsessively. And people, you know, if you look at it, hear it now, it's like, oh, this sounds corny. It's only because it's been done so much since then. But when it came out, it was like. Fire, man. He kind of was in in front of... Oh, yeah. totally, totally. And his style, too, was very much... 
much, like, especially in, like, very, like, Lenny Bruce, it was just kind of, like, just go with it in the moment, in the spirit, and it just felt very live. It was a great double disc, and so that affected me, but the thing that was lacking, like, you know, I hear that, and there's that one thing where, the moment where he was in Atlanta, and he's, like, you know, he uses the N-word, you know, that thing, where he's like, what, what? Um. But what we really want to talk about is... Is Nickers. Right. Yeah, he's like, no, what if... He's like, no, I'm, I'm joking. What if that was the whole switch? And so I yeah, listen yeah. to that, I'm like, it's such a brilliant thing. But it's like, oh, right. Because it's still, still a white dude. <laughs> Talking to white dudes. And yeah. I get it. Right. Uh, so I, I love it. But it was just like, that thing was like the reality of like, there's still that gap. And I remember the thing that changed my life was I was in D.C. for the summer interning and saw um, Paul Mooney for the first time. Mm. Do Master Mooney. Two and a half hours. And Preacher Moss was opening, also brilliant. Mm. And uh, Mooney changed my life. I was like, oh my God. I'd never, still to this day, I've never laughed at it. I was in pain for a couple of days because so I'd laughed so hard. I'd never felt that feeling of like, you can talk about race critically. And it's not to say I love everything Mooney does and like, I don't see things I think are fucked up, but it's like the heart of what he does and did at that time, um, just the, like he's so honest and true to who he is and the pain of it. And I, 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 he's always been, he puts things in context yes, so well yes, and links them together yes. in ways that you're like, oh my god, I've never seen it that way, and now it's completely you just illuminated it. Changed my life. Mm. Changed my life. All of a sudden, I'm like, what am I doing? And again, again at this point, I'm like 20, but I'm like, what am I doing? You hmm. know. So I go back to school. I went to college up in Maine, and things I still didn't really know how to speak in my voice so I was doing half the old cheesy shit I used to do and half like I gotta be more true but I was ba- by being more true I had I tried to sound like Mooney so I was trying to be like an old black dude <laughs> and I'm not that dude so I'm like half that and half like my parent, the parents shit and like and not to say it's wrong to talk to your parents but like the way I was doing it wasn't honest so like it was this mix of cheesy and overly aggressive and this kind of schizophrenic what is, what is it that I'm doing and but I, at least it was an experiment with like like being honest on stage and then I think going to Seattle and having this canvas in the city to uh, and a ton of stage time you know I, I had the ability to like take the things I was really passionate about I was working as an immigrant rights organizer at the time I was getting stage time at night I, I had the ability to like how do I I learned again how to make things funny you know because I knew how to write a joke but not about things I cared about and now all of a sudden I was experimenting with that and you know discovering like I can be honest on stage and this is what it looks like and mm. and now I'm at this place where okay okay I can talk about things I care about and be be truthful with that but I still feel like now I'm not talking about me I'm talking about what I believe but I don't feel like I'm talking about me enough mm. and that's like the next level of honesty like that's one thing that Marin does um, like in such a way like at Louis C.K. like they totally are who they are and they let it out, and I feel like I do some of that, but mostly I'm like talking about things that hurt me in a theoretical kind of way, or like incidents that happen. But I don't talk about like family. I don't talk about like relationships and well, how that like intertwines. And maybe you stuff. have a similar because I did a show last night at Union Hall, and um, I did this. Was this, that Lisa's show, Lisa and Arden show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lisa, Lisa Delarios and Arden Marines show, which was great. Party yeah. machine. Yeah. And um, Jacqueline Novak and Leo Allen were also on. Sklar Brothers showed yeah, up Leo's and did a set, and I love the I fucking great, love yeah. the Sklar Brothers. Um, and they're the nicest guys yeah. in the world. Um, and I did this. I had this dream recently, and I, I uh, and I said this on stage, 
And I said, I had this dream recently where, because uh, I, I have this joke, which is just an, a really good dick joke. <laughs> it's an ultimate dick joke. The joke is the penis is manic depressive. That it spends most of its time depressed, you know, with the droopy and the blah, and then in the directions of penis going, I'm somebody! You know? <laughs> and it goes, and it goes on. And I say at the end of it, That's and I rarely do it, but I say I dreamt that joke. It's the first time I've ever dreamt anything useful. <laughs> and then I had this dream literally maybe four days ago I had this dream where in the dream, my, I have a, my stepdad is, has type 2 diabetes and I wouldn't be surprised if he does. I, hopefully, he lives a while, but some, there, you know, there's this kind of part where it's like, hey, you might not make it, right? And um, in the dream, my stepdad has, I guess, passed away, and my little sisters are at the age where they're about to go to college. And I went to visit my mom, who didn't want to live in this big house by herself, so she moved into like a, uh, like a trailer, basically, and it has two bedrooms. And she decides to make a little extra money and to not be alone. She'll rent out the bedroom. And so in the dream, I've gone to visit my mother, and I'm, I'm crashing on the couch because I don't – there's no bedroom for me, so I'm just chilling on the couch. And then the roommate comes home, and it's like this – the only way I can say is an uninteresting emo lesbian hmm. who is my mom's roommate. And at first, she's like, who are you? Oh, you're Charlotte's son. And then she sits down and proceeds to tell me about her day like we're the best of friends. And I don't know this girl. And she's telling me just like, oh, I got stood up for brunch and all this stuff. And in my dream, I turn to the screen. I look at the camera of my mind's eye and I'm like, really, Baron? This is the best your brain can do. You need to do things because you're out of stuff. If this is what, <laughs> your, dream, if this is what your dream has become. And then I woke up laughing. So I did that on stage. And when I was talking to Jacqueline and uh, Leo afterwards, Leo said something really, really Nice, because there I say a little couple things about my family in it, and he was like, it, it kind of, he's like, it's it really lets us in, you know, because you're a great performer, but it's like it, it's like it really kind of grounds everything. Like when you yeah. go to see your family, you sleep on the couch, yeah. and which is true. I'm on a TV show, but when I go to see my family, I sleep on the couch. Yeah, there's nowhere for me to sleep. Yeah, um, or you know, and it's like, so he's like, it's. It, I want to try to get a little bit more, and I think I was going to say this before that I think that maybe because I've had a resistance to writing autobiographical material because, first of all, I have this block in my head, which is why I'm always afraid of storytelling shows. I have this block in my head that nothing interesting's happened to me. Like when suddenly it's like, oh, I have to tell a story. I'm like, nothing's ever happened to me, which isn't true. I just have a block in there. Then also, I think that my autobiographical life isn't that interesting. Like I don't really have a lot of – I see it as not having a lot of unique perspective on my childhood and the things that have happened to me. Um, and I also think that it's, uh, sometimes I'm like well, – it's weird because I see other comedians do it. I'm like that's so interesting and so unique, but I'm, I can't see myself doing it yeah. to the same extent. And also it's like every comedian, you're told you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do your sitcom. You know, when you start doing stand-up. So that way, if your stand-up act gets turned into a TV show, they'll know what to do. And I've never – that – someone told me that when I was starting out, and I was complete. I was like, I'm not interested in that. Like, it's not – I just want to do what I think is interesting on stage, which is why I've always kind of been, I think, mildly experimental. I always say sometimes I'm too clubby for the alt scene and too alty for the club scene. <laughs> so it's like um, – but I'm interested in whatever idea – there's always been whatever comes to me I think is interesting – and there's like, I want to talk more about ideas and about my life and how it all gets together, how it all fits together. So I'm trying to write about my fears. Two things that I'm doing is I'm trying to write jokes about my fears and what I think I'm bad at. Mm. And then I'm sitting in my stand-up. I'm sitting on stage. 
So that way I re- rely less on my act outs and rely less on my body really and seeing yeah. if it will let the words do more of the work. Cause there's, I have this self-consciousness about my comedy album that like, I'm so like, cause everyone, anything anyone ever says to me about my standup is like, is always a compliment about my, how I perform and that I'm having so much fun, but no one's ever like, and you're also a really good joke writer, right. which is what I want in my head. I want people to be like, Hey, it's really clever what you said. And you're also prolific. And you also like, I, I always love talking to you about jokes because you like like this like you have your brain well, works and it's, it's interesting because I always feel like I can tell other people well, you should talk about this and that and uh, this because it's like I'll have a conversation like I'm having with you yeah, yeah. and there's already like 18 things that you've said that I'm like that could be an interesting bit huh. and when I have conversations with comedians comedian friends like they walk away with a new ten yeah but like for me <laughs> for me I'm like oh what am I gonna do with it because I'm just me in my room looking at this thing I like, had a district attorney bit that like you helped me tag up. Well, oh yeah, the district. What was the, the, ha- the hate crimes thing about uh, the cop that told me that uh, I can't tell the difference between one black dude and another black dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's like a chef, right? The chef yeah, yeah. can't tell. It's like it's what was it poison and sugar, boric acid, boric acid, acid and flour and flour. What's the problem? What's the problem? It's one white powder and another white powder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Here's your cupcakes. Here's your cupcakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, here's your cupcakes. Here's your cupcakes. Yeah, that, I always love that joke. Um, but okay, so getting into the non-comedy aspects of our lives sure. Because we are comedians, obviously Yes Our lives are wrapped up in thinking about comedy And ourselves, yes And ourselves <laughs> But it's like, in honesty So I have two questions, I guess, in a sort of a way Like, what what is your struggle with honesty in the non-comedy um, mm. aspects of your life? And then what and this is a deeper one this is a hard one you don't necessarily have to have an answer okay but i like seeing your brain work okay. <laughs> what is it if you could say is the root of that tree like what is where did it happen that you're like this is what i have to get on now you talked about like you know what is it that happened to you the experience that you're like honesty yeah. that's where i need to go now you just talked about mooney and Marin and david cross being inspirations in your comedy sense right but that is it applies more in a general sense too, doesn't it? Um, like a more of a non-comedy aspect of your life. It was definitely Mooney, I think. Um, that kind of calling shit out. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely applied that into my real life more after seeing him perform on stage. Oh wow! Okay, you know, great. I, I mean, definitely. And I think, uh, and there's, you know, I think also you learn the nuances of that. Like, you know, it's. Calling shit out doesn't always need to be like, yo, that's racist, you know? It could also be, like, finding a way to talk to that person so they understand. Yeah, you gotta put it to them. And it doesn't necessarily need to be public, and it doesn't necessarily, you know... Or or it it could be a policy, whatever it is. Like, there's different ways to call things out, but, like, the courage I saw on stage, you know, to say things as he saw them and not hold back, you know, definitely, when I went back to school, it affected me when I was... Organizing it affected me. Well, you felt. Uh, would you say you have felt more brave? You had like a bravery or a courage yeah, to be this like. Man, I can do this for this long. Well, you know, why can't I? And uh, especially knowing what the moment that we were in was, you know, uh, and, and and maybe we always were in. You know, maybe like it just hit me at that point, like with the amount of hate violence and deportations and detentions and all the stuff that was happening. Like maybe, you know, I said like I have to say something. This is my moment to say something. It's ridiculous for me not to, but may, you know, or maybe it was just like I just finally woke up. This is not new, you know, kind of this kind of shit. Like, um, well, it's, it's new for you. 
It was new for me. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. But there, there were immigrants who were struggling. I mean, maybe it was more overt. Maybe the policies obviously were more widespread. You mm-hmm. know, but hell, even it so, was just like a kind of the same. Well, stuff that has happened, but now it was this. It was like the amount of. I mean, look, there was deportation policies and shit like that that were in place before nine eleven. You know, they just kind of got activated as a result. Right. And so, I mean, stuff like that. How how we target institutionally and how. You know that that gets echoed by individuals and how we treat each other in a one-on-one level. Um, it's we. It's I'm a weird, I'm a weird comic. I feel like I think. What I do think, you mean? I feel like every comic. Yeah, is no, a weird no, comic. No, no, <laughs> which I, makes you like saying you're a weird comic makes you exactly like a comedian. I'm very sensitive. It's true. I think it's not to say that comics aren't. I think we all are, and that's the reason why we're affected by things and we write and we. But yeah, like, I don't think because people always like oh, comics are more fucked up than other people. I don't think that we're more fucked up. I just think we're more aware. Very, we're more we're more aware of what's going on in ourselves in the world. And that's one thing that Marin says too in that speech in his JFL speech. Oh, great he speech! Yeah. The most like sensitive. And it's, it's I don't know. I, I feel. But what do you mean? What do you? What do you? When you say you're a fucked up, I don't want to. I'm not fucked up. I just I don't want to hurt people. I don't mind offending people. I just want to hurt people, Baron. Like, Which people? The, the audiences. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt. Like I feel like I was doing it. I was doing a interview with somebody, and they were talking about rape jokes, and I was like, I don't really do whatever that means. I don't do rape jokes, mm-hmm. and like, are you against them? So I'm like, yeah, I just don't think. I don't remember what I said, but basically, I'm against the idea of being dishonest on stage if it doesn't lead to an honest place. You know, it's just not for me. And I think that me talking about rape in a way that isn't true to my experience which is i've never experienced that right uh, as a person i'm not a woman who has to deal with it more often like this is this is not um that's the joke i wrote what is that it that rape is not something i have to deal with but women do yeah which is why i'm extra sensitive to women what i think women need right and it makes me look like a rapist (laughs) that's that's kind of the angle i went on the, the irony of that. Yeah. yeah, just like I'm trying to create an environment that where you're not going to get raped, but it makes it look like I'm trying to... I mean, it's something... I'm just so... You know, I avoid the, the word, because I, I... Yeah, it's a hard word. It's one of those... Yeah, it's a buzzword. It brings up lots of things. or Two things. I think it brings up a lot of assumptions of what the comic's about to say because there's such a track record Especially now, yes, exactly. about it. So even if you're making a point that is not shitty... There's such a lack of trust with the performer in general, even if people like what you do. Like, and also you know. to be uh, – people have seen more bad comedy than they've oh, seen good comedy. Yes, and live, yeah, for sure. And it's uh, like so, – so when you say that word, you're bringing so much baggage with it. With it. Which is why I'm trying to figure out the way to maybe do the joke without saying the word, but it's like, I don't think I can, which is why I have to kind of dispel it. Well, that's one thing that like Stuart Lee, who's my favorite comic right now mm. – um, yeah, awesome. people are you. You love him, I Zach. Love, Zach Sherwin loves oh, him too. He's, I'm obsessed with his work, and I saw him twice in Edinburgh, two days in a row, in fact. And it was still just. But you know, one thing he does when he talks about issues that you know are have been done or have been done a certain way, he deconstructs how they've been done. So like right now, he's he's been doing a lot of deconstruction of uh, jokes about Muslims, which is you know very the way that it's been done in, in the UK, especially, has been very like thoughtless and not nuanced and it's like oh they're gonna blow themselves up or whatever and, and that's the angle you know and he deconstructs well i'm supposed to do muslim jokes so that's the thing you're supposed to do now so he mm. deconstructs what that means and it's brilliant so that's you know another way of doing it dana gould has a, a similar bit about gay jokes yeah where he kind of deconstructs what a gay joke is yeah where he's like really the majority of gay jokes are just making fun of the way that gay people talk 
Right. He's like, it's like a high lilting voice. He's yeah. like, it's like if everything was in a Swedish accent. You know, you would be reaped. It was, like, it was like this whole, it's a different thing, but continue what you were saying. But I mean, yeah, there's a dishonesty in not having an experience and, and or, or such a super, uh, superficial service level um, observation. You know, it's mm-hmm. lazy in some ways. And so... Um, Is that your biggest fear right there? But Being lazy. Being um, a lazy comedian. No, 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 it's not. I th- it's, it's there, of course. Right. Anybody who has, uh, you know, is, uh, is self-critical and sees what we do as art, which I do, because we make choices every day when we're on stage, and that's art to me. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I just, I want to be a comic who's a great comic, who's thoughtful and interesting. But I don't want to hurt people. And there's a really thin line. And I realize you're going you're gonna to have to. Because that's what, what what part of this is, but I don't want to. I, I mean, it's funny. I was doing a Q and A in Montreal. I, I like to do Q and As when, when when it's possible. And somebody said, maybe it wasn't Montreal. Maybe it was Ottawa. Uh, I think maybe I think it was Ottawa. And somebody said that they had um, uh, spoken to a comedian afterwards, and the comedian said, "You just have to hurt people. When you agree to do comedy, you just you're just agreeing that you're gonna have to hurt people." And I immediately shot back that that person was an idiot, and. <laughs> And that you don't have to, and I and I think, I'm, and yes, I don't think you have to. I think you can be very thoughtful and still be real and honest. You know. Uh, yeah, you're not hurt. You, you're. I think maybe what you're saying is you don't want to hurt people just for the sake of hurting them. I think that it's like, like shock for shock. It, it right. serves a purpose if it fits into something that you and believe and is know trying what to say. The purposes because if they don't, then satire isn't satire. Because you're talking about you know if you're taking down sacred cows, if you're talking about a specific type of person that you run over and over and over again, yeah, it's like who's hurt you? I'll give you, I'll give you an example um, of something where they're like. Where I do the best I can not to hurt people, and sometimes it just happens. And you and I, I'm like very conscious about the words I'm using, and I've apologized on I, stage. I, I, and, uh, yeah, okay. You know, where I'm like, nah, I'm so, I do similar I, things too. Yeah, you know, I've made, con- especially with classes, shit. Like we didn't grow up with money, my brother and I, but we always had what we needed. So there are moments I got to go to a privileged school and all this bullshit, right? So like, I'm aware of like. I have certain class things. Um, and, and you so, got to go to the privileged school with privileged people. Yeah, absolutely. And you saw that, like, And hmm. even access to those privileged people, even though I didn't have it, means I'm privileged by just, like, oh, I, I don't have a summer home, but I get to go to yours? You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? So that's privilege right there. Uh, access to money. So, um, you know, I've said shit on stage afterwards. I'm like, wow, that's really bull- that's bullshit. And I've said it on stage. I'm sorry about that. And I move on. And it's hard to apologize on stage because when you do that, there's always dicks who are like, oh, you're not the alpha male anymore. Let's pounce. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just you just remove the – now I can pounce. Um, so it's tricky. But I was, I'm, I was, I've been doing this bit about um, we've never had a female president in this country and a big right. part of that because we have men in this country that say things like – uh, oh, you know, you, uh, once four times four days a week. Well, that's, yeah, it's like we can't have a, we can't have one president because you know what's going to happen. Um, you know, she's going to have a period right. and she's going to start PMSing and being irrational. And she's going to ruin the world, right? Uh, which is which is ridiculous. Well, let's say we agreed a woman once a month because of her biology has her judgment impaired. Well, I'm a man. I have my judgment impaired every five to seven minutes. Right, right. Um, and that's only know, because you have a little guilt because you took some women's stuff. I wake up some mornings with my judgment, judgment impaired, impaired, which I love that. I love that. I love that. So think about that. So it's, it's, I think it's a thoughtful joke. I, I, the new tag I've added is it's, you know, this answers the question, hurry, can you write a feminist dick joke? Yes. <laughs> so, 
And I like to joke, I think, especially as a, a man talking about this stuff, there's a tricky line, just like, the, I guess, the kind of line that I hear, like, white comics say, uh, just, I want to talk about race, I want to be thoughtful, but it's tricky because I'm a white person, like, can I do it right? Mm-hmm. And so it's the same as a man, like, can I do this right? And, you know, I've had a lot of women say that they really love that joke, and when it does, and it's clever and thoughtful, and I, I, um, I appreciate that. But I had a, an interesting thing happen in, um, in Seattle where a person came up to me and they said, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of your stuff, um, but can I, you know, critique one thing that you, you said? And normally I'm like, no, just like absolutely not. Like uh, Kamau has a bit where he talks with somebody saying that, can I offer you a critique? And he's like, uh, no, if it's a critique, absolutely not. <laughs> so, but you know, uh, the, the look in this person's eyes is like, yeah, I think I need to listen to this. As a woman? It was um, a man, um, but it was F to M, you know, person biologically oh. female, but um, transgender, transgendered, yeah, and now identified as as a male. And um, so, I, 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 the look on his eye and his, and his face was like, "This is something I have to take." And so I said, "Yes, absolutely." What do you have to say? And it, he talked about how me. Um, saying, you know, a, a woman because of her biology, I've just said that this is what gender is. Like, a woman is this, a man is this, and, like, I didn't say anything. Like, I basically put this person out of it altogether. I've said this person doesn't exist because a man is this and a woman is this in the end. And I and this person said, well, I, I knew that you had studied human rights, so I had a feeling you were aware of this. So you made... Wait a minute, wait a minute. We explain that, I'm kind of... Well, the concept is that I was... I think his assumption was... You are somebody who's a very thoughtful person. You've studied a lot of, like, theory, assuming, like, queer and feminist theory as well. So you're aware of these kinds of ways of talking about gender. And I said, yes, I actually made an active choice. I was aware when I was making this joke that I was leaving out... I I was using a traditional gender binary. Well, well, you you say in the joke, people say. You say in the joke that people say, well, you know what's going to happen. Right. And then you say, let's say that's true. Don't you say that? I do say that. And I also say... Let's say if that happens. And I also do this one thing, subtle thing, where I say, like, I'm a man who happens to have. And it's subtle. And... But at the same time, I explain to him, like, look... A man who happens to have a penis? Yeah. You don't have to say that. You're a man who has a penis. Right. So by saying You're talking from your own perspective. And I think happens to have because, like, I'm not saying all men have to, right? Right, right. But still, it's a nuance thing, but it's like, how come you aren't more overt? How come you're not questioning gender? And it's like, well, that's not the purpose of that joke. And also... The joke is to debunk gender stereotypes. Within that binary, where many of us live. And to go within the binary and to, you know... And I said... Well, you know what I have to say to that transgender person? Well, hold on. Too sensitive. Right, right, right. (laughs) Go ahead. Right, that would be the irony, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, um... But I said, uh, you know, like, you have to understand, like, in, in, like, these club settings where I perform a lot of times, like, for me to, to deconstruct gender in the beginning of that joke, it loses all power. People are drunk. I'm a man talking about gender stuff. Like, do you realize how hard that is for me to get to that place? Like, it's too... Uh, and and I, I hurt this person. And You hurt that person? Yeah. That person felt hurt. Okay. I, you could see it in this person's face. Uh, and at the same time... I had to because I felt like I had to make this choice because I feel like there's a power in a man saying something thoughtful about uh, gender in this way and about, uh, you know, like making a statement about like sexism. I had if I I don't like if I get to such a level where I'm refusing to say I'm like, like not saying anything thoughtful about 
about sexism because I'm worried about hurting a person who's transgender, it loses. It, it like we don't get anywhere. But you're, I don't, I don't know. That's a really, that's really tricky. Because again, you're, you're the point of the joke is that you're disarming some stereotypes. Yes. yes. So you have to say here are the stereo, and you yes. say I believe, yes. in my opinion. Yes. You set up the stereotypes. Yes. That you're disarming. And you never say, here's, this is, I believe in these stereotypes. You're saying people believe. Yes. And I think it's bullshit. Yes. And I, I, so that's an interesting thing that this person would be like, how, you can't. This person put me on a higher pedestal. And, and the thing is, and also I think this person had an assumption of what I could do in that space. And, and what I said is, look, if I could write a joke that questions gender, uh, then I, I would, but that's not the purpose of this thing. And I haven't gotten to a level where I can write that. And there's a lot more thinking I need to do to be thoughtful about that. Mm-hmm. So, cause that's part of honesty to, to be honest with myself. Like I'm still struggling with those questions of like, yeah, can I, you know, it's and that new should, to that's me. what should be in your act. And I said like, it's, it's, and to, I need to, you know, it's new to me to discuss this because to me, gender has always been a very, like, this is what, you know, man is this is what a woman is and I'm learning this so for me I need to get to a place where I'm comfortable enough with the ideas and then to write about it I can't just write about it because that's dishonest I'm not up there making political points to make political points I'm up there being honest with my point of view I don't see myself as a political comedian I see myself honestly as an observational comedian but these are my observations and this is the lens I observe things with so I can and you do get that political comedian stigma put on you sure and it's like it's bullshit like I'm talking about like I have there's anything wrong with that but people are just like oh he's brown I'm and he's person, talking about ideas and i have multiple lenses and this is the lens i observe the world with oh he went to the london school of economics so be a politician is, so like this is like you know so it's very and, and I, I hope I, I gave him some honest like this is this is who i am this is what i can talk about. i don't think he was satisfied but i you know but there's that place of i'm gonna have to hurt to some degree and that maybe that's a degree and i still know that i'm compared to most comics here's a controversial statement you said i don't think he was satisfied how could he be satisfied when they weren't satisfied with the gender they were born with oh snap son i don't think it's a lack of satisfaction it's just a lack of like oh my god i'm in the wrong body it's not satisfaction it's more like well i mean i have a i have a lesbian friend a gay a gay female friend who is very into transgender and androgynous people. Right. But at the same time, she feels like the, the whole, it, she almost feels like it's about gender stereotypes. Is that mm-hmm. you, you, that like, that you, you, that a tr- a, she believes, I'm not saying this for me, but we've had this well, kind of discussion. Perspective, right? Yeah, I know. She believes in a sort of a way that to be a transgender person is giving into gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. That you're saying, I don't feel like a man. Therefore, I must be a woman. Okay. And then you go into the gender stereotypes of a woman. Right. You know, like John Mulaney has that joke about um, drag queens. Like, why do they always? Why are they always the same kind of woman? Mm. Where it's always a mouthy woman. Why? why are, where are the mousy librarian drag queens? Right, right, right. You know, who are just kind of shy and and adorable. Right. You know, it's always like yeah, you know, like they always. He's he always feels like he gets yelled shit at him by drag queens. Where's the shut in? Yeah, where's the shut in drag queen? Um, I mean, it's an it's an interesting drag yeah. to see somebody just watch TV on a couch. But it, and it's also an interesting thing for because I again, she she told me this and it's like I said I don't really have any perspective on it, hmm. you know, because I don't really know any transgender people, right. but she does, and she feels like it is 
it, she's almost said it's like you're you're rejecting one gender stereotype for a different gender stereotype, but ultimately she believes you're giving in to gender stereotypes. That was her. That's her take on it. It's very interesting. Yeah. It is very interesting, and again, well, that's nothing... a tend- I think that's a tension too that that exists mm-hmm. um, in in, the, in that world. You know, when you're talking about yeah, no, there's nothing else to say. I think that's about it. Yeah, and I and it's just like. The only thing you can do is please some of the people some of the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like out of, you had a great show and it's amazing because you're such a comedian. It's like, you could have a great show, but that one person in the front, right? Well, who's sitting there cross-armed, not laughing. You could be killing 900 people, 899 people laughing, one person not. This person had a great time at my show. Yeah. But felt put off by that one, that one thing. That one so, thing. But normally I dismiss it. That's what I'm saying. Normally you're like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to go back. It was the look on his face. That's all it took. And sometimes when you really hurt somebody, you... It's like we were talking about before. Like, sometimes you just uh, you just need a hug. And there was a moment where... And did you... You, know, you, felt, you felt that uh, he needed a hug? Was it you said male to female or female to male? Uh, male. Uh, female to male. So he, he needed he, a hug. He. And I think that... Um, there was... There was um, we're having some hummus right now, just in case you hear smacking of lips. I mean, it wasn't like an actual, but I think what I meant, like, you need somebody to be compassionate and listen. And that's what this person needed at that time. Just to kind of voice an opinion. It affected this person. To leave a comment on your YouTube page, but IRL. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And honestly, mm. I have to respect him for... Just coming and saying that and being and being Sussy. respectful, yeah, and courteous about yes, it, absolutely. As opposed to getting a fucked up email later or right. some or leaving a video. Saw this guy the other night. He's right. a sexist asshole. Right. On a comment on the video or something. We are eating hummus while we discuss. By the way, yeah, yeah, I know. I I said it, but I yeah. guess I didn't say it loud enough. Supremely spicy hummus by Sabra, one of our sponsors. We have, I have no sponsors. You should get the sponsors. You know what's funny? I don't know what. You no, know, that doesn't matter. Well, what's funny? You, we have so much overlap. With, I was just thinking about like when we said sponsors. I'm like, I should get a cocoa butter sponsor. And I'm like, we both have cocoa butter jokes. Yeah, but I haven't done mine in so long. That's you, old, old me. You you just wrote that long thing about um, the flight, the dying on the thing you doing, Conan. Oh yeah, you know, the plane crashing. Yeah, which you and I have the same fear of like, like it's that I called it a compounding interest of fear. Like, Every <laughs> time you get on, like you just. Well, also, you know what I realized in retrospect? I did Conan September thirteenth. Yeah. And I did a, a joke about planes right. and crashing. Right. Two days after the tenth anniversary of September eleventh. Do you think that affected people? I just, I just wish it. I didn't do that. Right. But it's like I just. The set was decided way before yeah. before that. Yeah, and it's like it wasn't enough time to. I mean, it went okay. Yeah, and I felt like it was okay, and it's an okay joke, and it's cute, you know. But it's like obviously it's on people's minds, you know. It's like it just happened. Like it was two days before that. Obviously, it was on people's mm-hmm. minds, so it was like there's there's like two days before I did the show, right. so maybe it affected. I I wonder, but like, luckily, because I thought that's a not hurting people. Who who? What if someone was watching the show that lost someone on September 11th or was you know very directly affected by it and was like, why did that guy do that joke? You know, it, it, in a way, it doesn't matter when I do that joke or where I do that joke. Right. They're probably going to feel that way. 
But there was a part of me that's like, maybe it's just more inappropriate now, and I didn't think of it until afterwards. Because you know what happened is that they put up my video on uh, the Team Coco website, and the, the title originally was, Baron Vaughn is concerned about plane crashes. Mm. And then a week later, it was changed to, uh, Baron Vaughn would rather be a terror... Pterodact- have pterodactyl wings. Yeah, I'm like, pterodactyl. yeah, of course you should change that. Who let somebody do that? Thank God somebody saw that. I've eaten almost all of this pita bread. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay, dude. You're starving. Let me just, uh, will you hold that real quick while I uh, scrape the hummus out? <laughs> I saved too much of the hot stuff for the end. I mean, yeah, I know. I think I want falafel, man. I want falafel. You definitely want falafel. You're eating hummus. This is like when I eat Lucky Charms and I, I save all the marshmallows. It's just nothing but soggy marshmallows and milk. Mm. You know? I have to pay out my credit. I left my credit card at a place last night. That's disgusting. Anyway. No. Well, we'll wrap it up. And um, I guess my question is, yeah. moving forward, yeah. what is it that you're going to do in terms of this goal? Or, or what goals do you have moving forward to approach this theme and to address it in your life? Being honest? Mm-hmm. I, I, like, what are you going to do? You just have to do it. I mean, that's a great thing about stand-up is that, you know, you have a thought, an idea, something you want to try, you just do it. You don't need to wait. We can just go. I could go up tonight, scrap my set, and just tell a story. And it could bomb, and I could deal with it, and I can grow from there, you know, and that's all I need to do. I just, I need to write more honest things, you know? And it's not like, like I was saying, I'm making the distinction between things that are, um... Honest in terms of point of view, and honest in terms of like uh, this is a story that happened that's deeply personal, or this is a thing I don't normally talk about, but let's get right. out there and take the risk of you know the pain that comes from bombing with stuff that's extremely personal, mm. which is yeah. a lot harder than stuff that's like that's you know, not yeah right. I mean, it, it, of course it always hurts, but there's like oh man that I because that's happened. You know, I've shared stories that are like stuff that I don't. don't there was a show I didn't. <clears throat> San Francisco, uh, Alex Cole, Chris Garcia, Sean Keen, and Bucky Sinister. The business. Uh, the business. Uh, I was the fifth businessman for a period because I was in San Francisco so often. Um, but I'd shared a couple of really personal stories um, that I'd done before, and I really wanted to tweak them and work them out, and I felt like that was a perfect space. And something about that audience that day was not down. And I honestly, it was just, you know, we could look at it objectively. It was a small, little show. Uh, I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but it's like, you know, a small audience. It wasn't like a big uh, impact show or anything like that. It was just a show with friends. And you could feel it. But it hurts so much. And it's still, when I think about that, I still cringe because, like, I just shared some shit that I don't tell most people about with this audience that didn't react at all, that didn't laugh, didn't smile. More, I think I heard a yawn. It was like, wow, this is like my worst nightmare. And it was only 20 people, but it crushed me. I mm. felt awful. And, I, and still when I think about it, I remember that I didn't try those things. I haven't tried those things again really since then, I don't think. And I've been very reluctant. Well, you know, you know? the thing is, though, you did that on your terms. I did. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's when bombing doesn't um, bother me if I did it on my terms. Like, if I'm doing badly and then I... And I hate, and I'll do this because I'm a comedian. Yeah. If I'm doing badly, I'm like, gotta get that. I gotta get a laugh. Yeah, I can't. Oh. I can't not have a laugh. Then I will do a joke that's seven years old. Yeah, oh. just to get God. them laughing. And then I walk off the stage and I feel dirty. I feel Why gross. Am I doing this like- exactly. I might. I might as well just. If I'm gonna fucking tank and you're not with me, 
then I want you to not be with me. Yeah. And then I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay with the sinking ship. You know, be like a captain instead of being like, fuck this! Everyone get off! Well, the other night on stage... Shooting a kid in the head to get into a boat. I was proud of myself the other day, because I was on stage, I, I, I didn't get a huge laugh in the last thing, and I, I looked at the audience, and like, I thought, like, do I have anything else, anything else to say that I think is interesting? I could have slipped in an old joke, and I, I, I took ten seconds, and I was just like... Thinking no. of all these old jokes, and I just looked. And I'm like, no, good night. And I ended on nothing. But I'm like, I didn't have anything else of interest to me to say. And it was on your terms. It was on my terms. And I think that's okay. That's that's a Brook Brookman Poplin did that the other night too. She just was on stage and she took us. I'm like, I don't think I want to say anything else. And I was like, it was just like, yeah. Well, we have. The, yeah, I don't really. It's funny. I read all these interviews with comedians that I love, and they always it's, when they, when the. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of uh, when people say like, "Oh, I got good win." Yeah. There always seems to be a commonality. It's like I got good win when I stopped caring about what the audience thought. Yeah, and I remember reading it like a long time ago. I'm like, I'm going to start that now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop caring, and I've I've learned that I care more. But like, we we we, we tend to think of every audience like there's when we because there's only one word. Yeah, the audience. That's really fair. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. There's only one yeah. word, the audience. So they're all must be the same, and they're not. No. Every audience is completely different, and you can't approach each audience like it's the same group of people. It's That's not. Like not drawing a distinction between your friends and people who aren't your friends. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's like, it's like if your friends and your enemies were just all called friends. Yeah. They were just all had the same title. Yeah. Then you would be like, oh, why don't they act like this? It's like no, the audiences are different. They're this different. is the person that's lived with me and has children with me and has no other title other than that person. It's yeah, like, exactly. You draw relationships. That's what it is. We have different relationships with different people, and there's some audiences that you're like, like it's like you know, honestly, when I'm in Seattle, and they don't know anything. If they knew anything, they'd be on stage. <laughs> it's fu- two things. One, like uh, with regards to that, like I've I've been getting some of the new stuff I've been working on is only getting laughs in the back of the room and comics. And I actually, it was just, just comics, and I just, I looked at the audience the other night, and I'm like, here's the thing, though, like, most of these laughs are coming from the back of the room, and the thing is, these people, those are comics, they don't have health insurance either, so I need you, I need these people, you know, because you have the money that will, you know, you, I need your opinions to change with me. Yeah, I mean, I just think the audience is, it's always love-hate. Yeah. Because it's like, sometimes I hate them, and then sometimes I love, because you get great audience, like, doing Bumbershoot, it's like people oh, yeah. who are just into it. You know, and then like certain clubs in the country where, or certain cities where people just have good attitudes Seattle and audiences they're supportive. Best. Yeah, Seattle, San Francisco, Seattle Austin, audiences, you know. to me, it's like a, a room full of friends, even though I don't know them yet. And afterwards, honestly, like I become friends with like, and I think it's true with with Kamau too in San Francisco. Like after shows, he becomes friends with people, like people that keep coming back who become friends and who he'll see outside of comedy now because they've become mm. close and it's. That's the relationship I, I have with Seattle audiences. Like, we're going to be friends a lot of times. I just, I love that. In New York, I don't, I don't feel it all the time. I feel like, ah, some people are cool, some people are not. Whatever. Yeah, it's New York. Flabbo jabbits. That's right. That's the code word. This episode of Deep Shit is now over. Um, kudos to you for listening to the whole thing. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, you get extra brownie points with me and um, just so you know my brownie points are redeemable for absolutely nothing Um, that's my bad on this one you know Um, uh, that'll never happen again though great conversation with Hari um, but bad execution on my part because I had to put it in those weird chunks but luckily that'll never happen again so thank you very much for listening Uh, um, I'm going to go ahead and also admit that I 
that my uh, my voice is way more effeminate sounding than I want it to sound. Whatever. I got the penis to make up for it, raising the roof in my heart. Anyway, <laughs> um, shout out to the AV Club for um, giving me a shout out. That's kind of cool. Um, I think it, the, the little review we got in the AV Club was also not written by someone that I know, which means that someone that has no real personal stake in me um, enjoyed something that I did. And that is just crazy to me. And if you are a person that enjoys something that I did or am doing and have done, then please leave some reviews, leave some comments on the iTunes, and uh, tell a friend or 800 um, until next time on Deep Shit, this is Baron Vaughn saying, Deep is shit, shit is deep, 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 shit, shit, shit. <laughs>